Bangly bang. Bangly bang. On the Empire Podcast this week, Brian Helgeland, director of the crazed biopic Legend, drops in and brings his stars, Tom Hardy, and a newcomer called Tom Hardy. Uh, plus, another frickin' legend, Ron Perlman, shows up and is simply awesome. All that and usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that very nearly became the practical bird-keeping podcast this week, but the paperwork didn't come through in time. Oh, Got what it. a shame. Got it. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our resident Jurassic Park expert, a man who knows just how long it would actually take to run from the T-Rex paddock to the main street in heels. It's Nick Desemlian. 17 seconds. 17 wow. seconds. Mm-hmm. Wow. That seems dangerously close. I tried it with and without heels. <laughs> it, the, the T-Rex, yeah. The T-Rex can almost outrun a Jeep, but not a lady in heels. Well, we, cl- we clocked the T-Rex at 32 miles per hour, right? Mm. Top speed. We clocked Bryce Dallas Howard in heels at 34 <laughs> miles an hour. But it probably takes him a little bit of time to um, accelerate. Yeah. yeah. It's like a horse over a short distance. Also, he's a, he's a lot older. He is older, isn't he? He's, mm. he's an older T-Rex. Paunchy. Yeah. <laughs> Has been working out a lot, eating too many lambs and lawyers. So, yeah. I they mi- they missed a gag in Jurassic World. She should have got out her compact mirror as she was running and looked in it to do her hair. <laughs> and <laughs> she'd gone, oh, the T-Rex is closer than it oh, appears. If, can you imagine if she'd done that? The people who were already <laughs> tearing this film apart. Yeah, the female lead stopped to do her hair and through. That'd be amazing. It would have been a great callback. Um, that would be, yeah. It would have yeah. Been, it would have, objects, <laughs> all, objects in your makeup mirror are closer than they appear. Yeah. She should get Heelys for the sequel. Okay, then. You know what Heelys are? With the, with the little wheels in yeah. the heel? Yeah. Yeah. That would be, you know, she could sip around. It would actually make sense for the little kids actors to have that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Although, I don't know if Heelys are a thing anymore. Uh, no, it's probably five years ago. Granddad. I did see someone on Healy's the other day, like a, a young person, mm. a youth, a youth. Uh, on, on Healy's at um, Holborn uh, Tube Station. I've never heard I went, of this. Get off my lawn! I said. It sounds like something from the Jetsons. Healy's are basically trainers, but with uh, wheels in the heel. Have you not seen them? They're, no. They were, I mean, they certainly wear everywhere. Yeah, maybe not now. Mm. Yeah, I think we're off topic. Anyhow, we're off topic, and I haven't even introduced you. This is uh, this is far second, but decidedly not least. It's our geek queen, a lady who knows how long it takes to watch all two hundred and twenty-two <laughs> episodes of Supernatural in heels. It's Helen O'Hara. <laughs> Funny enough, it's the same amount of time it would take you in flats. It's really? not one of those things where flats help. Ah, it's weird, isn't it? Do you watch it in your flat? I do. <laughs> okay, that's wordplay. Here's an email question from John O'Forwood who asks, Who would you want to direct slash star in a film about good and evil news agents? Now, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, every month when the issue new issue of Empire comes out, I always say it's available from all good and evil news agents, just to be fair. Sure. If you're an evil news agent, you can stock Empire just as, as well as a good agent news agent. So uh, so I just, you know, in the interest of fairness. So, John O'Forward goes on to say, The obvious directors would be Lord and Miller, and I would like to see Channing Tatum going up against Tilda Swinton. I mean, that is genius, first of all, full marks I'm in. for that suggestion. I would watch that. I don't understand <laughs> why it's those people, but I'm, and I'm, I'm curiously excited about it. So, I'm intrigued by this. See, I can see Channing Tatum as the small local news agent, the guy who runs a convenience store in the corner, who gets his papers in during the day, sells Mars bars at ridiculously overinflated prices, until the Swinton could perhaps be the cold, callous conglomerate type. So you're seeing this as basically Snowpiercer with a little bit less cannibalism. I haven't said anything about cannibalism. It's there, would be, there would still be cannibalism. There would still be cannibalism. The pitch, oh, okay. The pitch is Snowpiercer with Haribo. <laughs> Who doesn't want to watch that? Horrible piercer. 
Oh my god! I've got a I've got a pitch for this. I had a little thing last night. Here's my pitch. You realise none of us in this room can actually greenlight this. Really? Someone listening? I don't will. Someone listening will. Someone, Someone listening. Trust me. Yeah. Okay. 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 Ben Mendelsohn is an Empire subscriber. He gets his issue late. No way. <gasps> after it's already out in the shops. So he goes on a crusade against news agents in general. Oh, this is good. So he's terrorising news agents. He's but like, okay. Michael Fassbender uh-huh. is news agent. Oh. He's a spy who is running a news agent for some reason. <laughs> he has to take down Ben Mendelsohn. I'm going to take you down, he'll say. <laughs> Using items from his store. Using items from my store, he'll say. Well, I mean, that's all I've got. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a really strong start. It's like Fassbender's in the room. <laughs> it's, it's a lot and then like Ben Mendelsohn would turn around and go, "No, you're bloody not, mate," because he's Australian. Wow, thanks for clarifying. Yeah, <laughs> give me my emperor on time. He'd say, uh, "Where, where was that from?" Uh, he was, um, he was born in Australia, mm-hmm. but he moved when he was <laughs> four to. Krypton. That's actually correct, yeah. <laughs> right, that <laughs> so, so explains a lot. Apolo- okay. Apologies to any Empire subscribers who I've offended or who have <laughs> received their issues late because we do get the odd tweet from people and they do get lost in the post sometimes and turn up late and stuff. So mm. sorry about yes. that. Yeah. I thought you meant Ben Mendelsohn was actually an Empire subscriber. I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's blown my mind. He might be. He might be. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Um, I was thinking... Um, I don't know why this is the, the the thought that came to mind, but I was trying to think who would who sort of has a news agent air about them, but could do something different with it. You know, could do something completely different. And for some reason, the person who came to mind was Julie Walters. Mm, okay. And then what I decided yeah. is that I I want a rematch of mm. the great scene that was a little bit ruined. Let's be honest, in the final Harry Potter film, and that is the confrontation between Mrs. Weasley and Bellatrix Lestrange. In defense of Ginny, where she says, not my daughter, you bitch. Now, that is my favorite moment in the novels, and it is a little bit ruined on screen. It's just not well done. I love David Yates. He did brilliant, brilliant work on those films, but he messed that one moment up for me. Um, So I would like, essentially, a remake of that fight, with magic or without, I don't really care, but in, in, through the medium of competing news agents. That yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. So it's Julie Walters versus Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter, Carter. Mm. <laughs> as news agents. That's amazing. I'm all over it. I want to see a biopic of W. H. Smith. <laughs> Is it like There Will Be Blood? <laughs> yes. There will be I'm Mars w. I'm Henry Walton Smith. I haven't just Wikipedia that. And this is my this is my son W H Junior. I'm a, I'm a Skittles man. Uh, yeah, because there's there's so much there's so much uh, drama in his life. Did you know, for example, in 1850, uh, the firm opened a depot in Birmingham. Wow, that's a scene. That must have that's been that's a scene right there. Gosh, imagine um, just seeing that on the big screen. That's just crazy. His son is also William Henry. Amazing. Uh, well, no, this is there will be blood. Yeah, it is. This is massive. He's going to murder someone at the end using like a large piece of confectionery. This is phenomenal. The younger W. H. Smith used the success of the firm as a springboard into politics, becoming an MP in 1868 and serving as a minister in several conservative governments. I'll drink your milkshake that you got for free with the newspaper, collecting several coupons over a period of weeks. I drink it up. You could well, say would be a line. <laughs> that would be a he line. Was, says Ben Milton. Okay. As, as uh, what's his name? Henry Walton Smith. Would that would, wouldn't that be? H.W. Smith. I know. And, and what is the name of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's son? <gasps> H.W. This is mind-blowing. By the way, when I was little, <laughs> when I was little, I used to call W.H. Smith Whiff Smith. 
<laughs> I don't know why. I thought that was the name of it. So I, for, Let's y- try and popularise that. For years, I called it Whiffsmith. Yeah. Apologies to all our non-British listeners uh, for so many things. But um, mainly, W. Smith is the biggest chain of news agents in this country. News uh, agents it, are places that sell... Newspapers, yes. magazines, and sweets. Newspapers and magazines were something that you could get in the tw- in the early twenty first century and late twentieth century. If you're listening to this in twenty twenty, probably uh, they were things printed on new on paper, mm-hmm. uh, and they had information in them about, about things. Um, although in certain newspapers' cases, that was not the case. Not to name any names. Mail. <coughs> Sun. Right, uh, now we've got our first soapbox. Uh, if you want to have a question read out on the Empire Podcast, uh, you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, you can tweet us where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast and you can Facebook us as well. Okay, in a brief return to the, the old format of the podcast, we've got two guests this week, two belting guests this week. Very excited. Well, technically, we've got three. Technically, we've got four. Uh, but <laughs> first up is one of our favourite actors. He's a man mountain hewn out of living rock, just like Nick. Uh, he's one of the best character actors around, just like Nick, with <gasps> unforgettable turns in the likes of Sons of Anarchy, City of Lost Children, and most of Guillermo del Toro's glorious back catalogue, unlike Nick. Yeah. Uh, he is, of course, Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman. He's now starring in the Amazon TV show Hand of God, which is uh, streaming now as a judge-turned-vigilante. He came into the booth this week to talk to Nick and myself about that show, about playing the Jack Nicholson role in A Few Good Men on stage, Hellboy 3, and much, much more. And there's some salty language from the off here, so please, if you're of a sensitive disposition, don your fucking earmuffs now. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of the new Amazon TV show, Hand of God, and of course, Hellboy himself, the great Ron Perlman. How are you, sir? It's none of your fucking business. <laughs> I'm sorry to start with such an intrusive personal question. Very personal. <laughs> let's, let's keep it business like that. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, but I take it you're doing okay? You in London for By a long way, time? Do you mind if I take off my pants? Absolutely. I've got mine off. Why Good. not? Let's there go, go for it. That's all feel very That's comfortable. That's what inspired me. <laughs> you in London for a long time? This is a little uh, time, very brief. It? Got in late last night and leave early tomorrow morning. So do you get a time to do any of the tourist stuff? Do you get time to walk around and... Not this trip. Take snaps. But I've been really fortunate. The business has taken me to many places for long, extensive periods of time where I get a chance to kind of rub elbows, not as a tourist, but as kind of almost like a local, hanging with the locals, working with the locals. So I spent a lot of time in London over the course of years, and I have my own sick, twisted relationship with it, like all of you blokes, as it were. You haven't uh, been naked in a fountain on this trip, though. We should explain Hand of God starts with you naked in a fountain, which is yeah, an interesting and then, image. And, and, and then where do you go from there? Was that the moment where you read the, the you got the script and read I said, script? I'm in. I'm in. Anybody would have the balls to put a 65-year-old Jew in a, <laughs> naked in a fountain, you know, who am I to argue? That's, that's, that's a gig worth aspiring to right there. Was that a fun day to shoot or uncomfortable? It was a piece of shit day. A bad day. But, um, you know, when you're a working actor, you know, the, you keep saying to yourself, I guess there's, there's tougher ways to get through the day. You know, but the show is filled with challenges for whoever it was was going to play the judge. And luckily that was me because um, it turns out I, I like being in unfamiliar terrain, engagement level, ups the adrenaline level and all that. This was a role, the starting with me being naked in a fountain, which was actually not the hardest scene to shoot in the pilot. And this was a role I, that I could tell from the get-go was going to keep me really, really in a, in a, a space of kind of wonder, like unfamiliar. And 
I thought I would, you know, I would have thought that I was a pussy had I had I tried to dodge it. So I went with it. Can you tell us more about the role himself? Who is the judge in, in Hand of God? The judge is um, a man of privilege and a man of generations worth of privilege and wealth. Probably most of the streets in town are either named for his grandfather or his great-grandfather. He's that guy. Mm-hmm. And he's actually systematically put himself in a position, being, being a, a magistrate, where he really sits on the throne in the town. And he's really good at it. He can figure out a way to win in any situation, except in this situation, because mm-hmm. he's got a son who's just shot himself. And he's lying on life support. And doctors are saying he's already gone. And therein begins this dialectic of, holy shit, I'm finally in a situation where not only am I losing, but I'm powerless. And not only that, but I'm losing this thing that I didn't even realize how precious it was to me. And God, would I have given a little bit more time to tell him how much I loved him, to maybe try to be a better dad and all this stuff. So this is, this is, the, this is a world of pain that this character is kind of swept into. He's flailing. He's grasping. And uh, therein, in the grasping, he finds God. Or he thinks he does anyway, and begins this very strange, twisted relationship, which leads him into hearing voices and instruction from God, which kind of puts him on this vigilante path that be, that makes him even more questionable than you could imagine. Do you think of roles like this as, as a role of a lifetime in a way? When you when you get a role like this, do you do you think in those terms? I think that this is the role of of my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I really do. There are no roles like this. I've never. The reason why I was so drawn to to, to the, the series was just the writing, you know, the world that Ben Watkins created, I had never quite seen before. The pilot's very intense. Uh, you, you said that the fountain scene wasn't the toughest to shoot. Can you say what was the toughest? I mean, getting naked in a fountain is tricky, mm-hmm. but it's not as scary to me as, 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 as having to mirror a man who's on the verge of this type of loss. It tested me in ways that I've either avoided or never had the good fortune of confronting before. On, on days like that, when you're shooting scenes that are emotionally tough, what's your process? Do you, in a way, lock yourself away? Do you spend a lot of time in your trailer preparing? You know, my, pro- my process as an actor is, is something that evolved over decades and decades of working. And I, I, the ultimate conclusion I came to is the only, the only time spontaneity is possible is when it comes through a completely relaxed muscle. And if you tense up or you try to anticipate or you try to pre-plan, you've removed spontaneity from the equation. So that makes it even scarier. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen when he says action. <laughs> I don't know whether the tears are going to flow. I don't know whether I'm going to shit my pants. I don't, you know, I... That's not happened though, right? Just to... The second one. Who said it didn't? <laughs> it didn't happen in the pilot, but you have so much to look forward to. <laughs> Do you have kind of relaxation techniques then? Do you, do you meditate? Do you... I try to have somebody stick a finger up my ass. Um, no. <laughs> Every 10 I, minutes. I, I, I'm sorry, darling. I didn't mean to say that. Sending you, you... a special message to my wife right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own finger, darling. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the, the show is on Amazon. Uh, you can binge watch it. Starting Friday. From your perspective, how much has the industry changed since you came into it? Well, it's just it's just expanded. And in its expansion... And the expansion of what's allowable on to, on on some of these broadcast networks that don't didn't have to comply to the rules of old traditional networks, which were family oriented and advertiser friendly. Now you have these streaming sources where you can 
You want to show a nude scene? You you got it. You want to curse? You got it. You want to do a show about God? You got it. You can go as far as your imagination will take you. And this is why, you know, everyone, including myself, is, is actually identifying this as a new golden age in television. It springs from the fact that there are so many new players. And that means that in order to attract that limited audience, the only thing that's going to distinguish you from the last guy is originality. And when you have that as the tail that's wagging the dog, that's when you attract the greatest writers, the greatest filmmakers, the greatest actors, because this is what we all look for is like, how do I do something that's, that is fresh and smart and daring and bold and has never been done before? I found uh, Sons of Anarchy through Netflix, and I ended up binging like four seasons of that in a couple. I mean, of that's that's what that's what addicted me to wanting to stay in television was. I realized I was on a show that was a real juggernaut, you know, not just for the audience but also for the storytelling. And I, I, you know, it's like an, it's like anything else. You you find a drug that you like, you just don't want to stop taking it. Do you binge watch yourself? I don't. I don't. I'm leaving all these phenomenal things that I want to watch off to the side for when I'm in the rocking chair and I have, <laughs> and I have nothing to do but pull, pull wax out of my ear. So uh, what are you working on right now? And uh, I'm working on this fucking podcast right now. I'm <laughs> just really trying to get through it. It's a slog, isn't it? It's a slog. <laughs> you, well, you know, I don't have to tell you. Am I uh, right in thinking you were in an episode of Miami Vice? You are right. Back in the day. What you was are. that experience like? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you know, if you like Paisley, it was interesting. What was your outfit? You had some good... I, I was playing a kind of a, a boring autocrat, and I had to say lines that were really, really lame. And I I, uh, I remember I said, how, how could I say these lines that would elevate them? And I said, well, maybe if I say them like I'm some other actor, because if I say them like Ron Perlman, it's just, just going to lie there like, like warmed over shit. <laughs> so I played the entire character like Burt Lancaster, who's one of my heroes. <laughs> and when you go back and watch it, if you ever do, you'll see I'm yeah. not lying. Like everything was, hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm heading to YouTube. I was, I was heading to YouTube, man. Get this fucking thing. You'll see an homage to Bert unlike you've ever seen before. Have you done that since? No, because people caught me doing it. Like They said, hey, I think he's doing Bert Lancaster. And I went, oh, shit. I can't get away with anything. And you did the, the Jack Nicholson role in A Few Good Men on stage. No, he did the Ron Perlman role. You, you got in there before him. Yeah, I did the stage play. And yeah. he came to the, to the Broadway play looking for work obviously because you know he needed the job way more than i did but yeah that was his introduction to the material as did tom cruise and suddenly movie stars are playing yeah. these roles that you know nothing but obscure motherfuckers who were just trying to pay their rent <laughs> would kill for i mean that must have been an interesting experience watching that happen it was interesting it, it was kind of cool to know that nicholson ramped up a certain degree of excitement about playing the role based on watching my performance. I mean, that's the story I'm telling me and you right now. <laughs> There's no intersection between that and the truth, but mm -hmm. um, we'll leave it at that. That 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 interchange, though, that famous scene, you know, you can't handle the you, truth. You can't handle the truth. So you were the first actor to... to... No, no, I wasn't actually, because I, I replaced Stephen Lang, who who, oh, who right. did the world premiere, of, and uh, and then I was replaced by an actor named J.K. Simmons, who just won the Academy Award for Whiplash. So the more obscure the casting got, the the, the, the more bizarre the takeaway is. Yeah. That's an amazing. That's an amazing through line. 
Yeah, I'd love to see a movie with you guys. You know, yeah, Stephen like slang as he as he as he asked us to call him yourself and uh, J.K. So Simmons. You, you, so That'd you, be amazing. So you know Stephen if you he, know he, if he, you know yeah. that he's slang. Yeah, he came at the uh, he came at the not in the podcast, but he came at the office uh, a few years ago when yeah. Avatar was out. Yeah, he's, he's an old a, friend of mine. Great, great guy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I want to see a movie with the three of you in it right away. I, that's that's trying to send some good. We'll, we'll, good try, we'll, try, to, we'll try to put that on the books for <laughs> you. You're also on Twitter. I follow you. You're, you're very funny on Twitter. Thank you. Uh, at permutations. Uh, uh, unlike today, <laughs> where I'm just bombing. I'm bombing. No, I'm, no, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm laying eggs. Uh, I, I get the feeling from your Twitter account. That I, I, a lot of stars maybe will get their assistants to do it for them, but I get the sense it's you. You're actually typing your own tweets and yeah, no, I do, I do my yeah. own tweets, unfiltered, Ron Perlman, unfiltered, mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, uh, you came to Twitter fairly late in the day. Was that something? Yeah, that a couple you were, of years. Yeah, was it something that you looked upon initially with maybe a little bit of distrust, a little, little bit of suspicion? Not nearly as much of distrust and disdain as I look at it now that I'm a member. <laughs> what you're going to say is you're looking at us. Yeah, no, but I mean it's a, it's it's a slippery slope. That yeah. shit, man. In what way? Well, if you if you, if you actually have an opinion about anything, yeah, you know you're going to get fifty haters and fifty lovers, yeah, every single time. As long as you keep it show busy, and you know, hey, I'm in this, come come see me, you know, then you know it's like you know, the the big the big cosmic blowjob. But um, you know, you say anything about Obama or you know the GOP or something like that, oh, yeah. which which I'm kind of a political junkie, so yeah. I I open my big fucking mouth where I shouldn't. And it's, it's, you better be ready. Yeah. Because the hate's going to come. The hate is going to come. Do you, I'm, I'm guessing the question you get most from people on Twitter is Hellboy Free. Where's Hellboy Free? When's it coming? Well, I was the one who actually, you know, opened oh, so you up. That. I, I opened that door. So, I mean, I, I deserve to get, you know, to, to have to feel that question. But uh, just finally uh, had dinner with uh, Guillermo del Toro, who's such an old dear friend, but we hadn't seen each other in, in a long time because he's busy and I'm busy and blah, blah, blah. And I've been doing this this thing, mm. you know, where I've been taunting him <laughs> to like, <laughs> come on, motherfucker, let's do this shit, man. You know, I'm standing here. I ain't getting no younger. <laughs> and so finally we had dinner and I thought he was going to shoot me, but he ended up being quite... Um, <laughs> like amused by 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 this whole thing and uh by the end of the dinner we made a pact that you know whatever happens with hellboy 3 if he does it i do it if he doesn't do it i don't do it yeah. mm. so that's where it sits right now but you must love the character because that's an arduous process to get that to get into the hellboy costume and now you know prosthetics and stuff i i really feel as though um i'm done with the character i uh, you know i don't have a burning desire to to, to put that shit on again but I do feel, feel as I mean Guillermo told me what the, the resolve to the trilogy would kind of look like in broad strokes and it's such an amazingly theatrical cinematic idea that I found it to be essential that we do it like we and not only that but we kind of we were, we were designed to be a trilogy with a beginning a middle and an end and you know we've only done two thirds so I feel kind of we're really not done till we finish it. Can you give us a one-word hint of what that third installment, the flavor of it? <laughs> um, I can give you a, a, like a two-word hyphen. <laughs> Fucked up. <laughs> the X-rated yeah. Hellboy. Because yeah. the end of Hellboy. That's two almost is, one word. Yeah, the end of Hellboy Two is so lovely. Like, like gorgeous freeze frame. He's just learned he's going to be the father of twins. And yeah, then and then the, the notion of like you know, uh, I'll I'll tell you this, you know. Mm. 
the, the two twins were gonna like one would be look like the mom and one would look like the dad, and which one was and but that one of them was gonna be completely fucking corrupt and the other one was gonna be angelic. Yeah. Which one was which? No, you know. <laughs> Only Guillermo would make the the fucked up looking one be the angel. <laughs> so so then there's that adds to this saga of like holy shit he's he's the beast of the apocalypse he has to take down civilization he yeah. has to it's non negotiable yeah. and so that that's the that's the the foundation for the story and that's what I think like it'd be a shame if we don't do it when he, right back when he was talking about doing the Hobbit he mentioned that he had a part in mind for you yeah can you say anything about that now that all those films yeah no it, it was it was the bear. The guy who was the oh, bear. Right. Bjorn. Bjorn, yeah. When he was no longer a part of it, I became no longer a part of it. By choice. Because, you know, I wouldn't have been even in the conversation if it weren't for Guillermo. You hadn't but, started your bear exercises? and uh, No. I hadn't I hadn't bared anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do this thing with guests on the podcast. Oh, uh, no, Ron. really? Don't worry. It's, it's not that bad. Uh, it's called the IMD Bunker. So there's a lot of trivia about actors on the IMDb. You bet there is. 90% of it's not true. So we just want to run past some things with you, see what's true and what's not. Go ahead. So it says here that... uh, Untrue. (laughs) I'm not even Ron Perlman. (laughs) Ronald. I haven't been myself lately. Uh, Early in his career, he tried doing stand-up comedy. True. True. Fantastic. Uh, Not not so much. That's why I became an actor. (laughs) What was your routine? I stole. You, you stole. I stole. Yeah, I stole, and I mainly stole from George Carlin, who was <laughs> who was who was obscure enough when I was doing stand up that no one would have caught me. It was almost like my version of you know trying to be Burt Lancaster on my Miami Vice, <laughs> but people caught on. They said, "Wait a minute, he's doing George Carlin's routine like word for word." Did so, you ever have a Larry David experience where you came out and just looked at the audience and then just went off again? Do you, sensed it wasn't right I never in my life had a Larry David moment (laughs) (laughs) except maybe on the golf course because probably we both suck (laughs) Um, you're well known obviously for your extensive body of work with acting under prosthetics that is true we know that Um, you've given many actors like Armin Shimmerman and Michael Chiklis advice on how to emote effectively under full head prosthetics is this true Hmm. semi true okay in what way one of them (laughs) <laughs> which one no actually I, I i i you know i did give both of them um my version of of the prosthetic thing uh-huh. but um it had more to do with medication than <laughs> than than actual acting advice you know i said you're gonna want some preparation h because you're gonna be sitting in a chair for long periods of time this is good stand-up. You don't need to steal anything. <laughs> See, I could I could have been material. a contender. I could have had. I could have been somebody. Is it true that your favorite movie of all time is Nobody's Fool? It is among my favorites. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's. It's definitely in the top fifty. <laughs> um, I mean, my favorite movie of all time is The Godfather Part One. But um, Nobody's Fool is is emblematic of a movie that's quiet, purely character study, no plot. Very little happens in the movie, and yet you just cannot, you don't want it to end. And the last one before we let you go wrong. Bears, this is this is verbatim from the IMDb. Bears such a striking resemblance to singer and actor Tom Waits that once Waits was credited as Perlman on a movie poster. Could, is that true? And would you know if it was true? <laughs> I would, no, I don't, I don't know whether that's true or yeah. not. I don't, but I, but I do know that I, I, I did a movie in Paris for, for six months where I was living in Paris. Mm-hmm. And I was recognized on the street 26 times. 
right. and 24 of them, they thought I was Tom Waits. <laughs> one one guy thought I was a guy I never heard of, and and then there was one person that said, hey, you're Ron Perlman. But at the 26 times, 24 thought I was Tom Waits. And one woman chased me. I said, no, I'm not Tom Waits. She says, fuck you. Why do you say you're not Tom Waits? If I were Tom Waits, I would be so proud of it. And I went, yeah, and me too. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm, I love the guy. I'm a fan, but I'm not him. <laughs> Fuck you. That's amazing. Fucking American. Uh, which means I have to ask, have you met Tom Waits? We have met. Uh, not nearly as, uh, enough for my liking. I, <laughs> this is a motherfucker I would really like to get down. We actually talked at one point about playing brothers in a movie. Wow. Because it's pretty obvious that, yeah. you know. And uh, we just it didn't we didn't we weren't able to get a script that we both agreed on, but that's on the bucket list. <laughs> just so that I could you know have lunch with them every day, you know, so, have catered have catered bad catered set food, <laughs> and talk about shit, you know, talk about shit. <laughs> that would be amazing. So a film with you, Stephen Lang and J.K. Simmons, and then the film with you and Tom Waits as brothers. Yeah. If you take nothing else from this podcast. <laughs> Please take those two ideas and make them a reality. I'd like to take the financing along with it. <laughs> how, how is Empire doing these Look days? around you. There is yeah, no, no financing here. I guess it's going to be a real low budget. <laughs> we'll shoot it in here. We'll, we'll get a Kickstarter going. Uh, Ron Perlman, Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure's Thank been you. mine. Can I just say, when we were at the, when I was at the bar, when I was a barrister. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, bar? Yeah, the bar. Um, we used to make jokes about Judge John Deeds. Do you remember that TV Ooh. show, which had a judge who frequently would decide cases fought by his ex-wife and his lover, um, or his <laughs> wife and his daughter, and things like that? Wouldn't that, um, not, would, that, would, that wouldn't be allowed. Would that it? wouldn't really be encouraged. No. Okay. Um, and also, he would do things like go off and interview witnesses and members of the jury and stuff on his own, which again, not encouraged. But not ruled out. Completely. Uh, no, no, ruled out completely, ruled out completely. pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Uh, people used to just come into chambers every morning and just laugh at that like did you see what he did last night I feel there's a risk that this new series despite the awesome Ron Perlman will receive the same greeting from actual lawyers did you see the bit where the judge turned vigilante well it could happen I mean it seems unlikely I've met a few more judges than you I would guess Chris I think I've met a few more vigilantes than you (laughs) alright then agree to disagree uh... <laughs> and at all, they're all they're all lovely people. Mm. Brian, if you're listening, please don't uh, kill me. Let's meet for bridge at the weekend. There's <laughs> a there's a court show on ITV called Judge Reinder. <laughs> I got an email from Judge Reinhold. I'm not even kidding. About three or four months ago, just telling me he'd love that show and he wanted me to tweet about it. <laughs> so there we go. Awesome. Watch Judge Reinder. Nick, of course, uh, one of your finest hours at Empire was uh, finally making Judge Not Lest Ye Be Judged by Judge Reinhold uh, a thing. This is true, yeah, in which Judge Reinhold turns the tables on his critics by criticising or critiquing their reviews of his Mm -hmm. films. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I finally made it happen. It took years. It took years, but it was was very good. Two things I really wanted to do along those lines uh, have never quite happened. I've I've always wanted to do Listen to Your Friend Billy Sane, which is an agony uncle column in which Billy Sane uh, solves the problems of Empire readers. That's that's never quite got past his uh, people. (laughs) The other thing that's never quite got got past people's people, uh, so to speak, is Mr. Bean's Holiday. 
in which we take Sean Bean to Brighton for the day and film him on the rides and having an ice cream and with his, his, his trousers rolled up around his ankles and we print it in the magazine as if he's having a lovely time. It's weird that he wouldn't want to do that, isn't it? <laughs> you get a free trip to Brighton. Didn't you, uh, didn't you at one point switch your attention to Michael Bean? Yes. And try and make it happen with him too. Even though it was spelled differently. Yeah. Both would be equally terrifying. I love you're, having, you're having a great time, aren't you, Sean? No. An article based on a pun based on a Mr. Bean sequel. Yep. That's a good one. Finest hour. Yep. If it, it, um, Sean, if you're listening, and I know you are, uh, can we please do that? And similarly, Billy saying, call me, 0800 Hewitt Chat. That's the number. <laughs> uh, let's make it happen. Right, let's have some movie news now. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about things. Yeah, um, I feel like we should get the big story for you out of the way, Chris. And that is... Jack Reacher 2. Oh my God. Autumn 2016, only a year to go, well, a year and a month. Um, Jack Reacher's sequel will, is set for an October release in the US, October 21st to be exact, with uh, Ed Zwick taking mm-hmm. over writing and directing duties from Christopher McQuarrie. Um, Tom Cruise, of course, back, back, back. Back, back, back. And this one is going to be based Jack, on Jack, Never Jack. Go Back, as we discussed last week. Never Go Back, Back, Back. Indeed. Uh, yes, I'm excited. It's yep. opening in the US on the same day as Ouija 2 and uh, Underworld 5. Guys, fake hate that day. <laughs> That's Reacher Day. And no matter what the quality of the finished film, I'll be in the cinema's pain to see it 30 times in a row. Of course. So, obviously, because it's Reacher. And that's what he would want. Yeah. So Well, he'd say nothing, but that's what he'd want. See, he says a lot. He does say a lot. There was so many. I, I, I just finished reading the most recent Jack Reacher novel, which is spectacularly titled Make Me. Make Me. Which was, the title me. of which was revealed exclusively on this podcast to us by Lee Child. And there are, there are so many Take times where it says Reacher said nothing that I'm starting to yeah. think it's turning into the damn it thing from 24, where they're <laughs> deliberately putting them in. Like there's some kind of drinking game happening. <laughs> he would I say nothing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It's it's a, it's a fun book that until yeah. it gets really really dark and it twisted. Got super dark in like yeah. the last thirty pages out of nowhere. Yeah, it was quite depressing. I like the super dark. Good. I mean, a, a good super mm. darkness, but still like super dark. Mm. Mm. Anyway, on, tell me how many t- uh, tell me the title of that um, book again. Make me. Oh, for God's sake, Helen! Look, I just want to know the title of the new Reacher <laughs> book. Can you not just tell me it, please? <laughs> Who's on first, Chris? <laughs> what just happened? Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Ding. Nick, what's on what's on your uh, movie newsometer? Born five. Or is it Born 4? Or is it, is it Born 6? <laughs> no, it's definitely not Born 6. But uh, the the, uh, the latest Paul Greengrass, Matt Damon movie, which I believe has just started shooting or is about to start shooting on Monday, has, now has a villain. Tommy Lee Jones has already been confirmed that he's going to be in it, presumably uh-huh. chasing uh, Bourne around Europe. But now Vincent Cassell has been confirmed as well as another baddie, if Tommy Lee Jones is a baddie. And Matt Damon has also said a couple of things about the film. He talked about how it's going to start in Greece, and it's kind of an austerity thriller. We do know that Paul Greengrass likes a political subtext, or indeed text. Hmm. So um, so that's rather exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. I mean, Vincent Cassell is one of those guys who is really, really good as a villain. And, and he almost works sometimes where, as a red herring, just by putting him in the film, you think he's going to be the villain. And if he turns out to do anything other than mass murder, you're, you're, you know, you're surprised. It's almost a twist. So um, I think casting him as your bad guy is, is probably a good move. And a nice kind of contrast physically and in terms of kind of energy to mm. Tommy Lee Jones. So if he's got these two very different guys kind of after him, then I think that's an interesting setup. I'm very curious about this one. Is Jeremy Renner going to turn up? I would doubt it. You never know. Because um, if he appears on screen and goes, hey guys, it's me, Jeremy Renner, then everyone would go, what, what, who? He might just be in the background. From, from the 
Previous, he might be in the back, background of one shot blowing up a wolf. They might, they might go, <laughs> oh my God, Aaron Cross is still in a lose. And everyone goes, who, who's, who's Aaron Cross? What's, what's happening? I'm going to take some meds. That's really <laughs> bummed me out. Uh, but still, very, very exciting times. Um, I'm intrigued by something I saw today, which was uh, the first pick has been revealed of Brian Cranston as LBJ, mm. uh, Linda B. Johnson, in an HBO movie called All Away, which is based on the Broadway play for which Cranston won a Tony. Uh, fairly recently. Now, one of the reasons I'm intrigued by this is that it's directed by Jay Roach. And Jay Roach directed uh, Trumbo, which also stars Brian Cranston as the screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, who was blacklisted during McCarthyism, of course, and he, you know, and he had his name, to, he wrote loads of scripts under pseudonyms and whatnot, and his, his life's very, very interesting. But it's a Jay Roach thing, it, it intrigues me. Because if you look at Jay Roach's filmography... It's the Austin Powers trilogy. Yeah. It's the first two Meet the Parents movies. It's the campaign. It's mm-hmm. Dinner with Schmucks. And Mystery Alaska, which is a very, very fine, small movie. If you've never seen it, it's, it's, it's very good. And then suddenly, somewhere along the way in the last few years, and maybe it was a campaign that pointed him in a different direction, he's suddenly now become Mr. Worthy Biopic Man. And this is the man who gave his fat bastard and mini-me. <laughs> and what's going on? I mean, we haven't seen the finished product yet. There could be a mini-LBJ in there, Chris. There could be a mini-LBJ. We, we shouldn't leap to I'm conclusions. In. I'm so in for that. That's amazing. With a tiny desk. <laughs> like, Why is it called I mean, All the Way and not Lyndon B. Johnson, International President of Mystery? What's <laughs> what's going on? I really want there to be a mini I mean, president. Now. We have to allow people their <laughs> their career changes, Chris. Come now. But but yeah, I mean, Cranston looks great. So fingers crossed for that the, one. I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I'm intrigued, and I think it's it, it it shows it's it's inspirational that you can get you can get out of the ghetto. You know, in a way, the ghettoization of your career, uh, if you are cordoned off and you can only you only think you can only do comedy or you can only do horror, then Jay Roach is showing you the way. Attica, Attica. <laughs> well done, him. Um, speaking of people who escaped the ghetto they were put in, sort of, it's a segue. Kenneth Branagh has got his new directing job he lined up. He has escaped the ghetto, I put he him has. in last year. Yeah. God. <laughs> He's very sneaky. He is. Very sneaky. It's not a ghetto, more, more of a dungeon. <laughs> I spent ages on it. You were trying to persuade him, of course, Chris, to direct Thor Ragnarok yes. for Marvel. But in fact, he's gone elsewhere in Disney. After the enormous success of Cinderella, he can pretty much, you know, choose whatever the heck he wants. And it seems that he is going to develop and potentially direct the Artemis Fowl uh, adaptation. Now, these books are huge. They're among a slightly younger crowd than than us, I think it's fair to say. They are aimed at, you know, young teens and sort of sure. tweens. Have you read them? I have only read the first one. I have read the first one. I haven't read the whole whole set. I think there's seven of them altogether. And Artemis Fowl is a a child criminal mastermind, which is immediately quite fun. And he kidnaps a fairy in the hopes of extracting the secrets of fairy gold from them. And things don't go quite according to plan. So that's the basic setup of the first book. It's not a chicken. It's not a chicken. I don't know anything about this. My first image was a chicken who's a spy. Right, it's not a chicken who's a spy. I'm really disappointed. It's a small boy who's a criminal. Well, we don't know what might happen in the development process. I mean, fairness. you can keep hoping for that. Funny enough, somebody was pointing out on Twitter that the the cover of the book actually portrays a kid who looks exactly like the boy who plays the young Bruce Wayne in Gotham. So if they're just going off similarity to... Which they should do. Which they should do. Nothing else should come into it, really. Uh, that's who they should cast. But that's the kind of kid we're talking about. So um, it could be really good. Um, and it could be another sort of big young person series. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what Brenna does with that one. Fantastic. Happy days. Isn't there a Lemony Snicket TV show coming up? There is. Netflix. 
I'm super excited. I love Lemony Snicket. I bang on about it all the time. Mm. Uh, the movie Jim Carrey was very good as Count mm-hmm. Olaf. It was, yeah. The rest of it wasn't that good. No. But... And uh, I wish there was more. So I'm excited about that. I think it'll actually suit the TV format better, potentially. Mm. Although the unrelenting uh, grimness <laughs> may be quite fun to see. It's super grim. It's uh, super, super unfortunate. Grim. It's super unfortunate. Maximum snickety. Maximum <laughs> snickety. I'm looking forward to it uh, very, very much indeed. And one more thing we should quickly mention is Kate Blanchett is potentially going to star in a biopic of Lucille Ball. And this is exciting because Aaron Sorkin is writing the script. And that is just a combination of people that I would never have put together, particularly. Now, mm. Lucille Ball, I mean, the idea of having a biopic of her is actually a really good one because she was an enormously powerful TV force. Her show was like the biggest thing on TV for, what, 10, 20 years. Huge, huge success. Um, she studied acting back in the day, I think I'm right in saying, with Betty Davis. So she, you know, she went a long way back on Broadway and in film before she got into TV, but it was there that she really made her mark. And it's a really interesting kind of story. And Erin Sorkin and Kate Blanchett. Uh, weird mix of people, but I'm kind of intrigued by it. Good mix of people. Mm, very good. So, yeah. so there's no director yet? There's no director yet. No, they're, they're sort of putting together a package that I guess they can sort of take out to people. Mm. Shop to directors, as I believe the saying goes. But I wouldn't imagine that Kate Blanchett would have a heck of a lot of trouble of finding somebody good. If this movie's a biopic, right? Mm-hmm. Movies about people are biopics. Real people are biopics. Does that mean the Babe movies are biopics? That, that happened. Um, one more thing before we talk about the very, very sad news that happened this week, Helen. Well, Tatiana Maslany, who's the star of Orphan Black, who gives not just one great performance in that show, but about 16, is uh, apparently in the running. She's going through the auditioning process for Star Wars Episode Eight. Um, to play all the other characters? I assume so, because quite frankly, you could save a lot of money just getting her to do everything. She is uh, one of the contenders. There's a short list uh, which contains Gina Rodriguez, who's the star of Jane the Virgin, who's going to be seen soon in Deepwater Horizon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Olivia Cook is also in there. And they apparently all have appointments for, and I quote, a chemistry read with an actor who appears in episode seven. Yes. Uh, You can read our story where we have named name. Olivia Cook is from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. which we're going to be talking about in cool. due course, and I will be gushing about it in due course. Um, and then the the the, the saddest the saddest news this week the, the the awful tragic death of Wes Craven, who passed away at the age of seventy six following a brief battle with uh, brain cancer. Wes Craven was for me one of the horror filmmakers who shaped my love of the genre. Yeah. One of the big four, you know, Cronenberg, Romero. Carpenter and Craven. Yeah. Uh, and he's the first one of that quartet to go. The rest are not allowed to die. This is uh, this is my... I'm saying it right now. Sorry, guys. you got to hang around. Uh, but Wes Craven, I mean, where do you begin? Mm-hmm. The man was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last House on the Left, The Hills of Eyes, A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, The Scream franchise, which, as Kim Newman said in a tweet earlier this week, which I think nailed it better than anyone else yeah. could. Wes Craven reinvented horror four times. Most directors don't even get to manage it once. And, you know, I haven't even mentioned The People Under the Stairs or The Serpent in the Rainbow or Shocker. Which, Shocker, which you introduced me to. I introduced you to Shocker, My love yeah. of Mitch Pileggi and his finest cinematic hour. Just saying something. But, um, <laughs> well, I think it yeah. probably speaks more to the lack of cinematic hours from Mitch Pelegi than you shut up. You shut up. You shut up. Uh, but the, Shocker's a, a lot of fun. But Wes Craven had a fascinating career. He was an English and psychology professor. He got into hardcore porn. <laughs> he was editing porn for a while, and then obviously his movie career took off. But Last House on the Left was his first one, wasn't it? And it's, you know that's a very very hardcore film as well. No holds barred. It's a very grim film, very grueling film. Pretty much all his, his early work was really really gruesome. Yeah. Hills of Eyes is very very dark. And so many just. Mo- 
moments that that stay with you. There's shots and there's deaths in the Nightmare on Elm Street series that absolutely will not, you will not shake. Those will be in your head forever. The bathtub scene. The bathtub Ah. scene. The bit on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There there were things he came back to throughout throughout his career. The bathtub scene in in Nightmare on Elm Street actually echoes a previous scene in a film he made, which not many people have seen, called Deadly Blessing, Mm -hmm. which stars Ernest Borgnine and a very young Sharon Stone and has an ending I've never forgotten. The film itself is not very good, but the ending is fantastic. And there's there's a moment in the bathtub, the main character goes, to have a bath and a snake gets because uh, someone lets a snake into the bath there and it's like you're, what he was really good at was he because he was a psychologist and he knew what people feared and he was very very good at digging into that sort of primal jelly at the back of your brain and uh, and tickling it a little bit kind of finding thing the, the situations you normally feel very safe in and then giving it a dark twist yeah, yeah. he directed a TV movie about a spa that had a portal to hell which <laughs> is why I don't go to spas also, they were a bit too expensive. I don't go to hell um, either. Yeah, for but, the same reason. But he was also, by all accounts, a gentleman yeah. of it, as well as all this dark stuff. He was into bird watching. And yeah. I was reading some of his columns. You can go online and read his articles about birds and bird watching. And they're, yeah. they're, they're really nice and funny. Yeah, yeah, he was great. I interviewed him a couple of times. Um, I think the last time I spoke to him was either for Issue 200 or it was for Red Eye, his uh, very solid thriller uh, from 2005. And he was great, and he endured all my stupid questions about Freddy Krueger. But yeah, phenomenal. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street looms large. And even though he left the franchise after that, he came back to co-write Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and then obviously New Nightmare, which mm. was, was great, and paved the way for, for Scream, which was a very, very meta take on, on horror. Mm. Uh, but Scream's fantastic. I love Scream 2. Scream 2's great. Yeah, absolutely brilliant um, film. We did a scream a didn't we, a few we years did, back? We, we did Scream and Scream 2. We stopped... <laughs> We stopped before Scream Three. Uh, Scream Four, I like as well. I think it's, I think it's underrated. That's one with uh, Shaun of the Dead lot. reference. Yeah. Edgar Wright wrote a very, very nice uh, kind of tribute to him and mentioned that he kind of got in touch with him briefly because he wanted yeah. to do a reference to Shaun of the Dead. No, it's, it's always fantastic. It's great to see when you know the upside of people passing away like this is the uh, the outpouring of love that uh, hits social media uh, soon afterwards. And you know, it it felt very heartfelt for Wes Craven, indeed. It did. Um, there's some there's some lovely things I've, I've seen this week, and he was great. The last communication we had with him, weirdly enough, was we asked him to come on the podcast. He was in London a few a few months ago, uh, and I DM'd him from the Empire account because he followed Empire on Twitter, and said, "Oh, you're in London. Would you like to come on our podcast?" And he went, I'm, "It's a flying visit. I'm literally leaving today. I'll be back. I'll do it next time." Mm. And that was the last we heard of him. Uh, but he was a true great. Wes Craven, who passed away this week. Okay, let's uh, let's have our second guests now on the uh, podcast. Um, Legend, which is out next week, is out on Wednesday, tells the story of Ronnie and Reggie Cray, notorious Cray twins who ruled London's criminal circle with fists of iron in the 60s before it all unraveled badly for them. Brian Helgeland is the Oscar-winning writer of LA Confidential. He writes and directs the movie, and I went along and spoke to him this week, along with the young up-and-coming actor who plays both Crays, Tom Hardy. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Brian Helgeland and Tom Hardy. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Good, how are you? Oh, at the same time as you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you right no one will know who said that. <laughs> we're both good. We're both good. Excellent. That's good to hear. Uh, Tom, uh, I noticed you, you were talking about Woody, your dog, beforehand. You caused quite the stir the other week bringing Woody My to Woody the screen. Woody caused quite the stir the other week. To <laughs> yeah. Fair, yeah. Woody was a, a big star on Twitter for a while. Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> yeah he was. Bless him. Yeah, he's coming out tonight. He'll be wearing Alexander McQueen. <laughs> Doing the red carpet. Yeah, he will, yeah. Usual stuff. That's fantastic. I've been around Woody a lot because he, he shot with us. Uh-huh. And I've never seen him lose his dignity like that before. 
Well, Never. Well, we're in Alexander McQueen. <laughs> no, laying on his back. Oh, the, I was going to say, yeah. At the screening, yeah. <laughs> he, he played out, didn't he, yeah. to the crowd? It was great. I think you saw a room full of, like, potential sausages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave them what they wanted. He's got a biscuit, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want to take you guys back to the time you first met, which was uh, a dinner to talk about this film. And, Brian, you went in hoping that Tom might say yes to one or both roles. Yeah, well, I... I wanted to. I didn't have it in my head how to proceed, but I knew mm. Reggie was the lead of the two. So, mm-hmm. start out by nailing down Reggie, and not knowing if Tom would even want to play both parts. So okay, had to kind of take it um, one step at a time. Mm. And then he he obviously had had responded to Ron, so that was a that was the start of it. What were your recollections, Tom? Did you go into that thinking I want to? I'm going to do this but I want to play both parts, or how did it come about for you? I, I wanted to play The Craze for, for years, for, for, for a long, long time, but I never thought it would come up. And, uh, and for it to come up through working title, was mm. really, you, I knew that it was, they were going to make a, a film. It wasn't going to be salacious or anything like that, and that it would be taken seriously, and it was going to be a, a, a good piece of work uh, to get involved with. So um, when, it, when it popped up um, in the ether, that the craze uh, there was a, a script about the craze and um knocking about through working title and then it was brian who'd written mm-hmm. la confidential and he was directing uh it, the, those components immediately uh, as a for me as an actor made me want it no, no matter what the question was did i want to just play reggie and <laughs> i wasn't really for me i wasn't really feeling that yeah uh, as much as when i was reading the script i was enjoying the ronnie character yeah and then but but i didn't want to lose either of them but if I had to make a, on the day, if I could choose one and only one, then I probably would have chosen Ron. Right. And Brian was corralling for Reggie. Right. So we had to dinner <laughs> and, and it, ultimately it came down the line as, you know. It's that old uh, candy commercial. You got, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. No, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. Yeah, you yeah. got Reggie on my Ron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gave me both. Yeah. So was it a tough negotiation over that dinner? No, oh, no, the, no. It was, no. But it's funny because you make that decision at the end of dinner and to me, the movie's now fucked or not. But if we, if it doesn't work, if it if it doesn't work, it's fucked. Yeah. All the six months of hard work that's about to come is going to be a complete waste of time. Yeah. Also. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like snatch and grab, and the road suddenly gets narrower. Yeah. Doesn't it? The tightrope begins. So, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, it gives the film the discipline. Because I think a film needs a discipline applied to it, so it mm. became how do we do it and how do how do we make it go away? I mean, you told me something because uh, I've spoken to you before about this movie, Brian, that uh, that you felt, and Tom, maybe you can weigh in on this, that you felt that the Ronnie part was the prize for you, and that you did Reggie in a way, and you, 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 Reggie was a great part for you as well. But you rewarded yourself as well with the Ronnie part. That was the real meat <laughs> for you. Treated myself. <laughs> treated you. That was the, I think that was the phrase you used. You treated yourself in a way yeah, to, no, the, to the, Ronnie. Yeah, because Reggie's straighter and and more classic, and I think the kind of part that that Tom's shied away from a bit in that it's not as interesting as an actor. Yeah, you've got you've got a point there. I mean, there is there is an element of the straight lead that I've always wanted to kind of avoid because then they're, they're not normally very interesting um they're very handsome and beautiful or whatever but that's kind of where the buck stops and stuff happens to them and they inevitably accomplish a task and the end of the movie we all know they're going to win or whatever so it's kind of a bit dull so what was 
but with to be fair with Reggie, there's a character lead, so it's not yeah. it's a it's a leading part with with character. So there's no bells and whistles on the ego side of it, is you can't really get all your trinkets out and your your, your dressing up box and and sort of in, enjoy a, an immersive sort of clown experience in the truest sense of clown and and sending things up or mm. uh, playing um, with the flop or the 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 air of anything can go wrong at any given moment that you can with a larger character like Ron who yeah. has you know much more of a, a tightrope in in active and reactive behaviour, but I think what's but the, what was soon very clear to me as a challenge that I wanted as an actor, um, and there's plenty of actors and actresses who have done it before, but I wanted to do for me in the training was to play one character but with two heads you know um, the two sides of, of, of a similar coin and then having individual silhouettes which were iconic so that we had to tailor them to very specific um, pre-existing um, you know like a, what would you call it um, well research materials primary sources right. you know such as photographs and yeah. footage and stuff so there was boundaries to it which were strict and orthodox and yet a room to play Ronnie gives more room to play but also then it gives me an opportunity to earth him against Reggie so the two mm. were one that yeah. makes sense absolutely yeah. that's a good answer that's a good answer I mean I think it also it benefits from one actor because the negotiation is is in your own head as far as and because they are brothers and would have been close and would have thought some things would have been very similar about them and rather than two actors trying to find that middle ground or you know compromise sometimes yeah. as to how they're they're approaching it i think it all being yeah. in, in one actor's head it benefited from that as well. well there's a cohesion isn't there the thing is then you have to like a natural cohesion with the self yeah. which is definitely there in the same way that if you had two real brothers or twins playing it there's a similarity um that you get further away from when you have two different actors i know for that for that reason as well you you didn't shy away completely because you had to uh, in some occasions, use face replacement and very a rarely, body double. Yeah. Very rarely, though, just but some, in some for the, the most part, some of the action, yeah, yeah face replacement, just because you couldn't, the frame couldn't avoid it, but very mm. little. Mm. But in that case, Tom as well, it was it was Jacob Tamuri, wasn't it? Who was the Jacob Tamuri is the unsung Cray brother, yeah. um, both Ronnie <laughs> and Reggie, yeah. who you know again, um, he played both parts um, as, as much as I did. In fact, he had to do the work twice as hard because he was mimicking everything and then predicting what I'd do in, by the afternoon as well. Right. So we'd forge a line at the top of the day to say, look, this is the path of least resistance. So if all else fails, we'll go back to this basic dynamic and this is yeah. how we're going to play the scene. But be open for any opportunities that we can have in order to blur that line between the two to make it more realistic that we're in the room. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd have to play default to the line from what he'd learned in the morning, about 15 yeah. minutes. You know, uh, We'd record... Um, both um, characters' dialogue in the morning. We all had earpieces in, all the cast that were in the room with the two brothers, and right. Jacob had an earpiece in. And what that would do would play the lines that I'd recorded that morning that the other brother would be saying. So when I was on set playing one of the brothers, I would be speaking loud, and then there'd be a, a silence where <laughs> Jacob would be miming to okay. a recorded version of the answer in his ear wow. that I could cut off so we could record real life sound as well wow so it's kind of you know and jacob held it all together incredibly well yeah uh for somebody who you know had only signed up to deliver a pizza it was the hardest job of my career and i thought you know what i'll just throw tamuri under the bus because he's a stuntman so metaphorically he went under that bus and he came up smelling of roses he's now got a part in playing a, a sherpa on going up to everest oh, cool. amazing. Yeah, his first leading role the most amazing thing to my eyes was 
because we're shooting overs onto Reggie. Mm. So we're shooting over Ron onto Reggie. So <coughs> Jacob would, and Tom would have to work out his physicality of Ron before he actually shot as Ron. Right. And teach that physicality to Jacob. Wow. So Jacob could, re Jacob had to reproduce it before Tom did it, yeah. in a sense. But it had to be open. To, to differentiation so it, we had to choose specific positionings for hands or shoulder so that I could then move should I see something in the room or should I learn something from playing Reggie in that morning okay. that I can then react yeah. to as Ronnie in the afternoon so you had to find ready positions yeah. so like put your hand here so that I can move it to there in the afternoon yeah. if I want to because otherwise the overs wouldn't Bloody work yeah. when we cut I just have his hands down for the yeah. whole scene and it wouldn't be there would be no interaction yeah 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 so you have to predict interaction yeah. physically <laughs> oh my god as opposed to react in the moment does that make sense yeah it does so how the hell did you do the fight scene no idea but <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> no idea <laughs> movie I mean, magic we slapped each other yeah. senseless for real <laughs> the, the best thing you can do like really one of the one, I mean obviously is, is illusion and um, it, it, to create an illusion is to cover a man's face. Yeah. That will help. So instead of having a, a, a boxing match or... And I think it adds to the stories that these guys were great boxers, etc. We always hear about how tough they are. But let's, you know, when you have, you know, a cat fight between two women or let's say or two sisters or imagine that we, we sort of extrapolated that concept of two people having a really angry spat with one another but not trying mm. to hurt each other you know yeah, yeah. gung-ho brutal boxing type of way so slap boxing is incredibly painful and you can really intend you know you can give a lot of intention with a slap that, right. but there's less damage you can do than a punch we went for a sort of massive slap boxing fest which also hides the face mm. quite well so there's a good side to it is you can go really hard at yeah. slap boxing and you know you won't hurt each other too much so we can do plenty of slapping which we did bad side was it is that ronnie wears a lot of rings <laughs> a, lot, a lot of rings and a lot of jewelry so you know it was all right when i was playing uh when i was playing ronnie uh but then when i had to switch around to play reggie and ronnie does hit a little bit harder and out of control yeah. than than yeah. reggie in the way that we stylized it um i had to receive <laughs> receive a plentiful amount of 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 brass at the receiving end you know and uh, and and anything they laid down right. i had also to receive Oh my God! Jacob went to we yeah. you know, we got stitches, didn't he? And no, yeah. I got a black eye and when Jesus. we were, we'd be, I come <laughs> to the editing room in the morning, and the editor had said, "You got to see this one." And he'd, we'd step through the frames and see the, the face compress as the, <laughs> as the hand hit the face and all those things. I mean, can you not use? I mean, it's a bit late now, obviously, but rubber rings and stuff like that. Yeah, Is that rubber yeah. rings? Rubber Never rings. To me. What's a rubber ring? I don't know. It's a ring made of rubber. I'm guessing. What that do? Oh, I'm, oh I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> Forget it. It's, it would never have had the impact. And yeah. another thing is, is we know we're going to hit each other hard. So there's an, there's a, an energy between, because Jacob and I are very close. It's how far do you want to push it? And there was a couple of moments where we pushed it. It's probably a little bit too far. And they're in the, in the, yeah. in the film. Yeah. Um, apart from one, do you remember when he dipped? He ducked and I was supposed to hit Charlie from behind. Right. But he just hit me a little bit too hard before. And I, I zeroed in. And as he ducked, I just... Cracked him straight, right. <laughs> square on the top of the head. Yeah, and it looked it was a beautiful punch. Yeah, but to totally <laughs> unnecessary. But we was on. I said, "Oh, Jacob, let's rewind that. Look at it. Look at me. Look at me. I sparked you, mate. I sparked you." Then <laughs> said, so "Can't use it." <laughs> but it was a good hit. DVD, Brian. Put it on yeah, the DVD. Yeah, we'll do the. Uh, you know? We'll do them all. Cut them all together in one long loop. <laughs> Poor old Jakey.
That would be amazing. Yeah, he, um, he was great. He's he was awesome, Jake, yeah. And um, he even came up with the pretzel line, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I bent him up like a pretzel. I really <laughs> yeah. hurt him. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> we created a monster with Jakey, yeah. didn't we? So yeah. that started out as not really into acting. And by the yeah. end of it, who was, you know, Strasbourg. Yeah. yeah. Still at Adler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Brian, I'm not going to throw things that you've said to me back at you all the time, but right. there's one more thing you said to me, which I thought was fantastic, uh, which was that when you, Tom, were playing Reggie, Ronnie, that you would come up to Brian and go, so what are we doing today? What are we shooting? Okay, that's fine. Brilliant. No worries. But when you were Reggie, you'd come up to him and be sort of questioning the shot choice and questioning what Brian was doing as a director, be a slightly a little bit more antagonistic. Is that yeah, well, no, is that apprehensive, right? Yeah. Ron was much more open and, and you knew where you stood with him. Mm. And and not that you didn't know with Reggie, but Reggie, I always felt, was how Reggie probably was in real life, a little bit more slow to warm up to things and wanting okay. to understand what was going on, not wanting to be at anyone's mercy, uh-huh. so to speak. and And just wanting to understand what was going on in the room and, and, and to then take his place in it. You yeah, know, in it was a way. much more apprehensive playing yeah. Reggie. It was, a lot yeah. more, uh, it was a lot closer to me, I think, Reggie, yeah. as well, and I don't like playing was, me. Um, I mean, there was an accent there, which isn't mine, and there's you know there's a costume and a silhouette and all that sort of stuff, but it was getting a bit close to, to using me, and I don't like doing that yeah. at all, yeah. whereas yeah. Ronnie just doesn't give a fuck, does he? You're coming to do what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as a performer that's like brilliant and it was all good but the set was more serious around Reg the set when Ron was there was, was a party because I was on set actually for a scene where you were playing Ron oh yeah and what you were improvising you it was a scene where you asked uh, Jack the Hat to kill Leslie Payne oh yeah okay uh, we were sat in the booth and I was yeah. howling we, we, yeah with Taron it was oh, fantastic oh and, and with Charlie Merkel yeah. and I was trying yeah. to explain to him how to do it properly yeah. and I kept in. <laughs> Uh, so unprofessional. Well, I did enjoy playing Ronnie. You can say anything as Ronnie. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can actually yeah. say anything. I mean, the, talking about these people as if they're not real. Yeah. The, 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 within the constraint of this particular production and, yeah. and you know, take on the twins as a, you know, um, as a story piece in itself, uh, separate from the real real guys. When, yeah, yeah. when playing Ronnie as a, as a mask, it, it was definitely a pleasure to be able to have the freedom of the rug puller. No, you can rug pull everybody at any time, including the focus puller, yeah. right down to you know, whoever's on costume or whoever the new boy is. They're all getting it. Yes, but it was a great, whoever was opposite him at the time, it was a great separator of the men from the boys when, okay. when Tom would, during a take, Tom would change things up and, and, um, and if they could roll with him or not. It was so, it was so much fun to watch. You see guys get flustered. Other guys would just... Go with Hang him, in there, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, the, like the tea scene. That guy just, oh, Stevie, uh, Stephen Lord, Lord. Stephen Lord, awesome, yeah. And the first time when you, you we hadn't rehearsed it this way, but right. we start rolling, and Tom just gets in two inches away from him. And when it's, I'm watching it, I'm like, what, how, what's Steve gonna do? And he was just, he just rolled with it. It was, it was, it, it, it's so great. Yeah, Stephen's, a, he's yeah. an awesome actor. Yeah. And some people come alive to that because it's quite an impressive nature to have a, a, a you know, an actor in your face yeah. with that kind of camouflage going on because there's only one way it can go and Ronnie wins he yeah. doesn't lose <laughs> <laughs> so it's like how's he going to win yeah. he's, how's he going to win yeah and he's and he's duplicity his means are just so direct but they're laterals as well he's, yeah. he's quite off the wall character yeah. in that aspect so he's a, a lot of free reign to say the unsayable and yeah. the unspeakable yeah. in a brutal honesty 
that comes with him, which is really quite pure. It's, it, it, you know, for, in performance, it's a really, it's a really nice camouflage to have. Speaking of camouflage, I mean, you know, Ron's voice is fantastic. Where did that come from for you? Was that? Uh, well, initially, there's a, there's some BBC footage about a minute long of the lads being um, the twins being um, interviewed just post getting off. I think they got off the a court case for uh, the McCowan uh, case, yeah. Mm. And it's very hard to ascertain whether or not they were um, that was their true voice or not. Yeah. because they're on screen and they're being interviewed so and their lawyers there and stuff like that but there was a Reggie kind of yeah, the kind of voice like that which is you couldn't really um, you couldn't really put it on a film you know and, and, and Ron's was very much like that actually you know it was a little yeah. bit higher but it was it's, again something you couldn't put on a film <laughs> and it wouldn't have landed so the voice for Ron which we took the hollow sound of, of Ron's sound and, he, and, and made it fuller more the bass of it so it's bigger it's rounder do you know what I mean? But it's still, it's still from the same source, and uh, but embellished like everything is in, in you know storytelling. Uh, never let the truth get in the way of laugh. Print a legend, you like, know. And and Reggie's went from from being like slightly sly and in the back of his his throat to like then bringing it forward so that it could be projected. Um, so that's where they came from, and they were born from that, uh, and then brought brought up a little bit in order to to create a, a vocal silhouette for the pair of them. I mean, uh, you mentioned right at the beginning you you wanted to play the craze for for ages. I, I think it was just, it, it, yeah, it, it wasn't like I, I cognitively was like, oh, I want to play the tra- craze, so I'm going to track it down. It was just in the back of my, I was thinking about last night, it's like, I've always thought, oh, it would be great if they come up. Um, yeah. I think I'd like to have a shot at that. Being a British actor, you go over the, the some of the people in, in, in the past and in history and, and characters, and that's one from the streets, you know, of, of the Stensa historical classic and you know, it's like Dickensian but real it's like wanting to play Winston Churchill at some point you know what I mean in yeah. some aspects for an actor there's no discrimination between um, iconography when it comes to like, observing and reflecting primary sources from people who exist they definitely were on my, the list of uh, I'd like if that pops up I'd definitely do that but not with anybody because you know it's going to pop up you know it's going to get just like 15 years from now they'll probably do another version of it oh yeah absolutely it's something like you said keep your eye out because you know eventually someone's going to get around to it and and someone's going to play all three aren't they with Charlie Craig (laughs) (laughs) that would be interesting and Brian when did you first hear about them I had heard about them as all good things it all came through Led Zeppelin but I had (laughs) I had been asked to go on tour on the Page Plant tour because they were going to make a Warners wanted to make a biopic and on the second day of the tour I was told Robert Plant had no interest in it and wouldn't speak to me. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a waste of time. But someone associated with the band um, had a missing finger, and I asked him one day what happened to it. And he held it up, and he said, that was the craze. And I didn't know that he meant people. I thought it was like right. an animal called a cray had bitten his finger off. Well, that was the thing to do at the time. Yeah. yeah. Or it was a dance. <laughs> was, yeah. He got his finger caught on something. It was a fad. We all cut our fingers off. <laughs> and he explained, Did they reach the States? Yeah. And he explained that it was uh, something to do with the music business back in the 60s, and he had gotten on the wrong side of them. And, mm. and then subsequently, I found out that it was a, a made-up story. It was a lie, yeah. which seemed very appropriate that the first thing I ever heard about them wasn't true. And then, I, I, So we've continued in that yeah. fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I mean, it's like, nothing about them is true, really. Yeah. Is it? yeah. And then it was, you know, working title wanted to do the film, and they came to me, so it went from there. So the, it's uh, my theory of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the page plant biopic's not going to happen. 
Because uh, it's a shame because I can see Tom. What's yeah. that? The, I, could, yeah, the, uh, I was just about to say, can I do the Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Can I play all of them? <laughs> yeah. Lots of beards. Everyone but John Paul Jones. We, got. we can't we play Robert Plant. Robert Plant isn't in it. No, Jacob's going to be John Paul Jones. Right? <laughs> the bass yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That would be amazing. Who panda be? He'd be... Uh, Paul Anderson. He's the head roadie. Could get him in there. Yeah. <laughs> Sound man. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, so, uh, just a couple of last things. I mean, Tom, you said you said this is the toughest role of your career. Technically, yeah. Technically, yeah. I mean, given that you spent almost uh, two hundred days in the desert driving bits yeah, of metal I spent around, another eight hundred days in Calgary, didn't I? With uh, you know, in Aritu, <laughs> yeah, doing the, doing the you know, Birdman of Calgary, <laughs> I mean, the Birdman with a beard <laughs> and a bear <laughs> and Leonardo. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So it's saying something that's still. I'm into epics, yeah. <laughs> like, give us a long one. Something longer now, please. It's like, I've done ice. I've done ice pigs. I've done red pigs. Now I need something. Some space. Yeah. Some 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 galaxy pigs. That would be fun. Are yeah. you done with uh, The Revenant? Is that finished for you? Oh, I'm so done with The Revenant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Absolutely. Love that crew. Love that team. They're awesome. And uh, it, mm. it went on forever. But it, it, that's going to be that's gonna be another epic um, in the same way that. Fury Road uh, was, but in in and suppose in isolation and another in the complete opposite of that kind of barrage of chaos and nuttiness and, yeah. and, and sanity that is the ride of Fury Road. You know the epic nature of the Revenant is right out there in the wilderness. So it's you know huge. And Brian, what did you, have you seen Fury Road? What did you think of that? Oh no, it's it's. Uh, he hasn't seen it. Hasn't seen it. <laughs> you haven't seen <laughs> Fury Road. That. <laughs> Blatant. What Thanks, is going Brian. on? <laughs> Support is everything. It is key. It's out on Blu-ray soon. You should, no, you should I, check it. Film, don't worry. I think Tom's fantastic in it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. To be fair, you've, you've Jacob's excuse. fantastic in it. You, you were pretty busy the last few months. Well, I, it's, when I'm making a movie, I don't watch any. It, it just doesn't come up. Right. Yeah. Just that's a fair one. I don't read yeah. scripts. I didn't even read yours. <laughs> <laughs> I did see Warrior though. I thought that's the guy. Yeah, that's the guy right there. Okay. Yeah. And Tom, I, I got to ask. So, what are Brian's work? Have you seen Payback? LA Confidential. Yeah, LA Confidential yeah. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Bang on. Yeah. Okay. I'm a, I'm a, you should have lied and said no. Just to. You know, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I've seen everything you script doctored as well. <laughs> Even those we're not allowed to talk about. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of his script doctoring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's that old Woody, is it Woody Allen line. I've seen almost all of your films almost all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, bombshell. It's a good note in which to end. Uh, Brian, Tom, thanks so much. I want to be the new Bourne. Thank you. <laughs> You're in. That's it. No, we have the power to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the new Bourne. Done. Done. Sold. Right. Okay, Legends out next week. We'll talk about it in next week's podcast. Time now to talk about the films that are this week. Uh, time is against us, so we can only really talk about it. You, uh, where should we start? Um, how about we do Me and Earl and the Dying Girl? Because oh, I know you yeah. love that. Yeah, I did say I was going to gush about it earlier on, didn't I? Uh, yes, this is a fantastic film. I think it's not going to be quite everyone's cup of tea, but for me, it's potentially on my uh, list of the 10 of the year. Um, but then again, I've only seen 10 films, so <laughs> it, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a fantastic film directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who uh, directed The Town of Dread of Sundown, talking about directors of getting out of horror but this is a, a wonderfully heartfelt very funny 
very quirky movie as based on a young adult novel by Jesse Andrews who also wrote the screenplay and it's about a young uh, young high school student called Greg played by Thomas Mann star of Project X I knew he'd come good one day and uh, he is aloof and distant and he's basically going through high school he has uh, not allowing anyone to affect him emotionally uh, he's very cynical he makes films uh, he makes spoofs parodies of classic art house movies um uh, with his best friend Earl, played by R.J. Kyler. And uh, he's not affected really emotionally by anything until uh, a girl in his class, Rachel, played by Olivia Cook, uh, is diagnosed with leukemia. And his mum, Greg's mum, forces him to befriend her. And he finds himself really not necessarily falling in love. It's not a love story in that in that sense, but it's certainly a story about someone discovering themselves and discovering the depths of feeling that they can have and I think it's I think it's a fantastic film it's a fantastic film about love and life and death and about finding yourself as an artist and I think this movie for anyone who's been affected by cancer uh, will particularly have a profound impact on them yeah, I thought it was fantastic we gave it four stars but I could honestly maybe go and give it the extra five wow not extra five stars yeah that would be, be nine, stars. nine. Yeah. the extra one star nine stars for me and Earl and Banger nine million stars which as we always say in the podcast is a recommendation <laughs> uh, it's, it's fantastic the performances are great Thomas Mann's fantastic Olivia Cook, who is from Oldham but you wouldn't know it uh, from her accent uh, she's great as well RJ Kyler who's a newcomer uh, is great and the, the film is very spryly directed it's got a lot of a lot of heart a lot of humour it's really good cool let's talk about Ricky and the Flash yes uh, Meryl Streep as a rock star which immediately caught my attention so this is the story of a woman who essentially abandoned her kids and her marriage years ago when the story starts and moved to LA with dreams of pursuing rock stardom. And she recorded an album, but basically she is playing dive bars with her band, The Flash, and and kind of struggling to make ends meet, working in the supermarket by day, that kind of thing. When her daughter, following the breakup of her own marriage, goes through a bit of a traumatic time, she, she reluctantly goes home to try and help out. And her rather inadequate attempts at comfort... Um, are are not necessarily well received by her long lost kids, basically. But it's it's a great great cast. Uh, Mamie Gummer, who is her act- Streep's actual daughter, plays her daughter here. Uh, Kevin Klein is her ex husband, and Rick Springfield, the actual rocker around here, plays the sort of lead guitar in her band. Um, and he's actually very very good, holding his own against Meryl Streep, which is a, a pretty tough way to kick things off. There's a lot of charm here. I am perhaps softening on it as time passes since I saw it, so I'm just going to say that right now, (laughs) because the characters are interesting, and there's really interesting ideas about how a woman who pursues her career is regarded compared to maybe a man who would have, how he might have behaved in the same circumstances. Because she's a terrible mother, but at the same time, maybe that's okay in some ways, you know, maybe, you know, maybe she's kind of doing her best. So there's an interesting little kind of family dynamic going on here. There's no real arc, there's no real growth, there's no real through line particularly here. But it does have a charm, but it it just felt to me like every character needed one more really good scene to sort of bring them to life fully. And, And so it does drag just a little because you're not quite as involved as you should be. So I gave it two, it's a high two, I did flirt with a three. But that's probably right. You're such a demi-hater. <laughs> so anyway, two stars for Ricky and the Flash, is what I'm saying. 
Uh, as we move on to the other film this week, we had him on the podcast last week. He was our podcast guest, Ed Scrine, and now he's the star of the Transporter Refueled, yes. daring to go where the state is no longer contractually <laughs> obliged to. Um, uh, so. I watched a bit of Transporter Free last night. I don't know why. I was on Amazon. I that was what why. I decided to watch. I mean, I can understand watching Transporter 2, which is pleasantly ridiculous in a Fast and I'm Furious style. I'm drawn to its awfulness, like a moth to a flame. It's, <laughs> it's one of the worst films I've ever truly seen. Truly shocking. I remember seeing it with you, Chris. We were the only people in the in the room, and it was just shocking. At the end, yeah. I think there were people <laughs> just dying around us, yeah. Fleeing. It's, it's shocking. The first, uh, maybe not the first, but certainly the first I can remember seeing cinematic atrocity uh, inflicted upon us by Olivier Megaton. Whose not films have just never, ever lived up to that name. Mm. And he's went on to just ruin the Taken franchise single-handedly as well. He's at best a mini-ton. Well, <laughs> this, I would say, is better than Transporter 3. I mean, you know, just to get back to the film we're actually reviewing. Well, it's, re- it's refueled. They've, they've added fuel. I'm not sure, actually, that they've added enough fuel. But I would say that I think Ed Skrine does a pretty good job of stepping into the States, you know, enormous rock-hewn shoes. I wonder where you were going with that. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, he does convince as a brawler. The film opens with a scene of him taking down, I think, six guys who are trying to steal his car. That's not a spoiler. And, you know, he convinces me as somebody who could beat up six guys who were trying to steal his car. So that's good. There's quite a cool scene later on where he leaves his car on neutral and it's sort of rolling along behind him as he just walks along, beating up bad guys. That's quite cool as well. So I think there's no problem with him. The film has an, an, a couple of other good sort of innovations, if you will. Uh, first of all, his client and his passenger is Anna, who is a prostitute trying to escape from her gangster pimp with a gang of friends. That's interesting because it means that the girls are the one with the master plan here. They are the, they are the criminal masterminds. And Frank is just kind of going along for the ride, which kind of you know, gives it a slightly different dynamic. You also have the introduction of Frank Martin's father. He he was not hewn from the living rock, as we always assumed. No, he was hewn from the living Ray Stevenson. <laughs> he was hewn from Ray Stevenson. Is he called Martin Martin? He's he's called Frank Senior. And he, he refers to his son incessantly as Junior, giving this a nice Last Crusade sort of vibe. And they're actually a lot of fun together because Ray Stevenson is clearly having the time of his life. So that's kind of an interesting little dynamic. It also gives us an alternative hostage potential hostage uh, for any situation requiring one, rather than a screaming girl, which mm-hmm. I always appreciate. So, mm-hmm. you know, some nice innovations there. I think the problem is that the script is pretty bad. The dialogue is frequently awful, and the the action is rarely as great as you want it to be. I think in this post-Fast and Furious world, your action, if it's going to be ridiculous, needs to be ridiculous with a capital R. Is there anything as inspired as the hose uh, fight from Transport 2? Um, there's a nice little piece with four enormous bad guys in, in a locked room. It's not it's not as good as, as the hose or the oil or whatever else. We, you know, some of those very choreographed moments we've had. There's a really good car stunt involving five inexplicably placed water hydrants, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> and there's a bit in an airport that's just not quite as amazing as you want it to be, you know? It's just... It's it's okay. I think, and I think also the the climax of the film is something we've seen a million times in kind of low budget movies, which is a bit on a small boat. Like, all right, okay, but don't really care. So hey. it's it's not. No, I mean, yeah, I don't really care about small boats. I don't have one, and I don't really care what happens to it. So don't let jealousy cloud your reviews, Helen. <laughs> but I just I think this is actually you know it's a good result for Scrine. It's a good result for Stevenson. I think they had a lot of fun, and I think 
they're pretty good in the roles. I just think the script needed at least one more draft, if not three or four, and the action <laughs> needed another 10 or 15 million, probably. It's okay. a bit like the Hitman thing, though, isn't it? They're just rebooting everything at this point. There's no one yeah. was asking for another Transporter film, I don't think, were they? Um, Luke Besson's People like it because of the Stafe. It's not a beloved character, I don't think, particularly. Scrine does kind of convince you that, you know, this is an interesting kind of guy. There's not much about in the way of character, but, you know, he does the same sort of thing of being very buttoned up and very exacting in his life and then, of course, breaking all his own rules by the time we're 15 <laughs> minutes in. We have to ask, uh, inspired by Transporter 3's most notorious exchange in this movie, <laughs> is Frank Martin the gay? <laughs> <laughs> in, in this movie, Frank Martin gets a little bit of action. Frank Martin is not the gay. Frank Martin is not the gay. I'm, I'm not, not the, gay. the gay. Tell me why we hated Transporter 3 again. <laughs> I mean, that's possibly the greatest single dialogue exchange in the history of cinema. Olivia Megaton, I take it all back. <laughs> I take it all back. Yes, the Transporter Refueled is, of course, a three-star film, which, as we always say in the podcast, is a recommendation. Also out this week is Rick uh, Famuyiwa's um, Dope, which is a Quentin Tarantino-esque crime thriller set in Los Angeles. It's got a lot of energy, a lot of panache, a lot of pizzazz. Uh, we gave that four stars. And there's Owen Wilson, Lake Bell, and Pierce Brosnan in, in No Escape, which is a Luke Besson-esque thriller. Uh, you could you could say we didn't like that very much. We gave it two stars. Team Pod hasn't seen it, so therefore we can't talk about it, although I believe there's a bit in it where Owen Wilson throws his young daughters off the roof of a building. I mean, onto the roof of another building. Onto the roof of another building yeah. where his wife's waiting to catch them, but nevertheless. Yeah. That movie could have been the second Lake Bell movie this year to be called Man Up. All of Lake Bell's movies from now on should be called Man Up. Uh, so there you go. That's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by another double whammy of guests. <gasps> I know. Making Who? Making a habit of this. Well, again, it's kind of three people. We'll be joined once again by Kiosko Delario. Ooh. Uh, star of Maze Runner. Mm-hmm. And now, Maze Runner, The Scorched Trials. Uh, her director, Wes Ball, will also be along, which is very, very exciting. Uh, and M. Night Shyamalan. Ooh, what's M. the twist? M. Night Shyamalan. The twist is he's coming in to talk to us about his new movie, The Visit. <gasps> Didn't see that one coming. Did not see that one coming. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. Until then, thank you for listening. It's goodbye from Helen. Diddly. It's goodbye from Nick. Pip, pip. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to find out the name of the new Reacher book because, quite frankly, I'm getting exasperated with Helen. She won't tell me what it is. Make me. Helen, for the last time, I don't want to make you tell me what it is. Just tell me what it is. Make me. Oh, for the love of God. See you guys next week. <laughs>